0: That's a tough passage of scripture, isn't it? We looked at it last week as well. But what we're doing at the moment is we're working our way through the life of David. And David was a man after God's own heart. And we also need to be people after God's own heart. So let me pray and we'll look at these verses together. Father, I pray that you'll open our hearts and our minds to understand the extent of the effect of sin in each of our lives. And to be able to turn away from that today and to become more like Jesus. In his name we pray today. Amen. I'm very blessed at our house. We have got uh, chickens. And they lay very well. We have nice fresh eggs whenever I want fresh eggs in the morning. And uh, the chickens, if I let them out, they enjoy running over the whole backyard. They scratch around. They're looking for a feed. They dig up everything that I've just planted. (laughs) Now, they're very effective at doing all that sort of thing. But I know that sometime late in the afternoon, when it's starting to get dark, these chickens will come back to where their favorite roosting place is. So even though they jump the fence and they take off, take off and go and explore the neighbor's yard, they, generally speaking, come back unless they get eaten by the local fox. <laughs> but the thing is, the chickens will always come home to roost. And I want to look at that today, not at chickens, but I want to look at what our sin does. There's this verse in the Old Testament that says, and be sure your sin will find you out. That's not a threat. That's not a promise. It's simply a statement of fact. Just like those chickens can be depended to come back home and head back to the roost at night, you can be very sure that your sin will come back home to you. That's a very sobering thought. Last week we looked at at David's sin with Bathsheba. We watched that sin evolve from the moment it was conceived till it was committed. And we watched that sin confronted and, and confessed. And we spent a little bit of time last week talking about the consequences of David's sin. But I want to dig a little bit deeper into that subject today so that we understand perfectly well what the consequences of sin are in our lives. I want to look at this. My title today is When Your Chickens Come Home to Roost. So I want you to to understand what you can expect when sin flourishes in your life. And so we're going to look at a few chapters of of the the second book of Samuel, chapters 12 to 18. We'll cover them very, very briefly. And understand what happens when your chickens come home to roost. So the first point this morning is I want you to understand that there's a, a biblical principle that we find here in the life of David. It's not just a biblical principle, it's a spiritual principle and it holds true in every person's life. As it held true for David, it's going to hold true for you and for me. And This is the principle. God always, always, instantly and completely forgives sin when there is confession and genuine repentance. But... He does not remove the consequences of our sin. We need to understand this principle. It's very important. We see that here in the life of David. If you look at this passage, which uh, which Trevor read for us this morning, in Second Samuel, chapter twelve, verse thirteen, David confesses that he sinned against the Lord, and Nathan replies, "The Lord has taken away your sin." That's grace. That's grace in action. And that's effective for every single one of us. The Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. But then look at verse 14. But because by doing this you have made, enemies of the, you've made the enemies of the Lord show utter contempt, the son born to you will die. That is reality. That is the consequence of David's sin. There's an incredible contrast. The Lord has taken away your sin. And in verse 10, above that, Nathan says, The sword will never depart from your house. Grace on one hand, consequences on the other. David faced that. We also will face that. And this is is clearly demonstrated in, in many different characters of the Bible. If you look at the first instance of sin, Adam and Eve in the garden, They sinned against the Lord. They tried to hide from God. They covered up their nakedness with fig leaves. Very effective clothing. That wasn't. What does God do? Well, there's an animal sacrifice of some kind because God makes for them coverings out of animal skins. He covers over their sin. Their sin is forgiven because they tell God what they've done. But the consequences of that sin, guess what? You and I are still facing the consequences of that sin that that principle is there in the beginning and it flows all the way through the scriptures it's clearly declared for us in in Galatians let me read it for you, Galatians chapter 6 just in case you think oh that's all Old Testament stuff Martin, no it's not New Testament stuff as well, Galatians chapter 6 verses 7 to 8, do not be deceived, God cannot be mocked, a man reaps what he sows The one who sows to please his sinful nature from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. You always reap exactly what you sow. And you always reap more than you sow. And you will reap what you sow in this life. Now these are grace verses, okay? This is New Testament what I'm talking to you about. This is not written to the Old Testament people. This is written to you and me. We need to understand the consequences of our sin. So here's the idea that they express. Confession and repentance do not stop the harvest of your sin. If you sow it, you will reap it. You can be forgiven, but you will reap the consequences of your sin. See, somehow or another, we've we've come to believe that if we confess our sins, it's like it's never happened. Well, yes, in, in the courts of justice, that's true. You know, it's all scrubbed out in some ways. It, it's not remembered by God. But we put into train a series of events that God cannot and will not in his justice remove. God gives us grace. We will not die because of that sin. And grace means that we'll have God's help to face the consequences of our sin. Grace means that we are, we are free to come into line with God's plan for our lives. But grace never means that we are off the hook. Where sin is sown, a bitter harvest is always reaped. We need to understand that. We really do. Because if you sin against me in my person, right? If I get abused in some sort of way, I can forgive you. Absolutely, completely and utterly, I forgive you. But the consequence will be I'm not going to trust you, right? That's the consequence. We see that so often in life. We have to deal with this day by day. See, one of our problems in dealing with sin is the fact that we learn 1 John 1, 1.9, first of all. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. We learn that one. We believe that one. We understand that one. But then we forget about Romans chapter 6. Let me read to you something from Romans chapter 6, verses 11 to 13. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you may obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to Him as instruments of righteousness. See, we learn that God will forgive us our sins before we learn the fact that we actually don't even have to sin. Now, I'm not preaching sinless perfectionism, okay? I know that we are still fleshly beings until we see Jesus face to face. I understand that. But listen to what else it says in the Scriptures. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, He will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. We need to have that tattooed onto our foreheads ever want to get a facial tattoo stick it there (laughs) God will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear so you know when you fall into sin God has provided for you as a born again person a way out under this you didn't have to follow that path he made you into a volitional being that means you can make a choice and I know those choices are hard I struggle as much as you struggle but I go back to this verse. I understand that I was bought with a, at a price. I do not belong to myself. I am not my own. I belong to him. I do not have to choose that path that's tempting me. I can choose a different path. So we we are we're kind of trained and programmed in some strange way to 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 say, "Oh, you know, I I can sin and I'll just I'll just tell God about it afterwards and he'll forgive me and it's all good." Well, that just makes you a Sunday Christian, doesn't it? The rest of the week you walk in sin. Remember the principle. God always instantly and completely forgives sin when there is confession and genuine repentance. Right? That means you tell God about it and you want to turn away. they live the other direction. But He does not remove the consequences of our sins. So we need to learn that principle. We need to understand it. We need to share it with one another and encourage each other. So let's have a look again back at the, at the life of David here for a moment. Have a look at the pain that David endured. When David sinned with Bathsheba and, and attempted to cover up the sin by having Uriah murdered, he unleashed this firestorm of tragedy into his life. Things would never be the same for David's life or his home as a result of the things that he did. Let me give you a brief overview of the pain that David endured for that moment of pleasure with Bathsheba. David suffered the death of the infant son that moment of pleasure brought about a new person into the world and that child died David's eldest son Amnon raped his half sister Tamar as a result of this this is consequence going being brought out David's son Absalom grew to hate Amnon Absalom conspires to have Amnon killed Absalom flees from his father and the two are estranged for some 5 years then Absalom leads a public rebellion against David Absalom publicly disgraces David by committing adultery with David's concubines on top of the king's palace in daylight in full view. Absalom is murdered by David's nephew Joab. This this, this is a tragic description of horrible events that sin can have in our lives. Notice something. David's sin affected more than just David. David's sin affected his whole family more than it did anyone else. So after all the smoke has cleared, he has four dead sons, a kingdom in shambles. He has disgraced wives. He has a tarnished reputation. He has a disgraced daughter. A trusted counselor is dead by suicide, amongst other things. Even though David sinned, his sin affected totally innocent people. Isn't that enough to think like, wow, I need to pursue a path of righteousness here? David's child, Tamar, these are innocent victims of David's sin. It caused him constant grief and heartache. David put it this way in Psalm 55. He says, my heart has anguish within me. The terrors of death assail me. Fear and trembling have beset me. Horror has overwhelmed me. Oh, that we would have the same sort of conscience to be overwhelmed by our sin against God. Have you ever thought about what could happen in your life? Have you ever thought that if what the fallout would be if you fell into sin? Let me tell you, we're probably all experiencing the fallout of falling into sin. Have you ever considered what might happen and what lives might be ruined when you take a step away from God. We need to understand this, brothers and sisters. It's important. Are we willing to pay such a high price? It's not you that pays this price. It's other people that pay the price. You never know who might be destroyed because of some indiscretion in your life. And don't think for a moment that your sin won't affect other people around about you. We can't do what we please and think, oh, it's not going to affect anyone. It doesn't hurt. It's only a little thing. Let me tell you, it affects more than just you. You're deceiving yourself if you believe that. You know, that it's not going to hurt anyone else. May the Lord help us to count the cost and stay close to Him. We really need to. Many people are paying the high price for their sins today. You know, parents who lived in sin in their formative years and their children watch them live that way. And then you come to Jesus and then what happens? Your kids keep on the same path they were before. They don't all, they don't all become Christians. How sad is that? People have squandered their lives because of some, you know, a little time of pleasure. They've lost their ability to minister. Sin has the power to cripple you, to destroy you, if you allow it to get a foothold in your life. Here's what Jesus said. Listen to what Jesus says about sin. He gets pretty radical, by the way. Jesus, in, in Mark chapter 9, verses 43 through to 48, listen to what Jesus says. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life maimed than with with two hands to go into hell where the fire never goes out. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Jesus says if you do whatever you've got to do, to stop doing what you're doing just now. Now I'm not please don't all come next week with one arm or whatever. <laughs> you know, I'm gonna really feel depressed that you did that. But but uh, but 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 do what you've got to do. Okay, if there's something that you struggle with, get it out of your house. Do whatever you've got to do. Because we reap what we sow. However, there's some good news. I want to move on to the third point. There's the power also that David experienced. Even as this time unfolds in David's life, we can see see in David's life the evidence of God's hand at work as well. Even though David had, 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 had to face the consequences of his sins, he was still God's man. He was still a man after God's own heart. And I like that because God is at work in the heart of David. And we see that in two specific incidents as David fled from Jerusalem during the rebellion of Absalom. So what's happened here is David has sinned. He's done all these things. Absalom is setting himself up as an alternative to David. And he sits in the, the city gate and he says to people, yeah, what's your problem? I'll, I'll deal with it. I'll solve it for you. There's no one to talk to you for the king in front of the king. So what's your, what's your issue? I'll, I'll deal with it. And so Dave, David gets a bit freaked out about the whole deal. And, and he basically takes his kingly court and leaves town. But then have a look at Samuel chapter 15, verses 24 to 26. What's happening is David is fleeing town and all of Israel is upset about what's going on here. Verses 24 to 26, 2 Samuel 15. Zadok was there too, and all the Levites who were with him were carrying the ark of the covenant of God. They set down the ark of God and Abiathar offered sacrifices until all the people had finished leaving the city. Then the king said to Zadok, take the ark of God back into the city. If I find favor in the Lord's eyes, he'll bring me back and let me see it and his dwelling place again. But if he says, I am not pleased with you, then I am ready. Let him do to me whatever seems good to him. So, Abiathar, the priest, was leaving with David. He and the Levites were taking the ark from Jerusalem. And David sends the ark back into Jerusalem says, look, I'm going to depend upon God. This is a consequence of my sin. I have to face this. But you know what I'm going to do now? You go back. This is where you belong, in Jerusalem, with whoever is the king at the time. I'm going to face the consequences and I'm going to trust my God in the midst of the consequences. Do you see David's heart? He's changing. He says, no matter what, I will depend upon God now. Now look, have a look at chapter 16, verses oh, 5 to 14. This is an interesting thing. David approached Bahurim, and a man from the same clan as Saul's family came out from there. His name was Shimei, son of Gerah, and he cursed as he came out. He pelted David and all the king's officials with stones though all the troops and the special guard were on David's right and left. This bloke's bold, right? He's chucking rocks at him and these fellows have got spears and swords and decapitate your stuff. As he cursed, Shimei said, Get out, get out, you man of blood, you scoundrel. The Lord has repaid you for all the blood you shed in the household of Saul, in whose place you have reigned. The Lord has handed the kingdom over to your son Absalom. You've come to ruin because you're a man of blood. Then Abishai, son of Zeruiah, Said to the king, Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Let me go over and cut off his head. This bloke's like only chucking rocks. He's got a sword. Yeah, I can understand. But the king said, What do you and I have in common, you sons of Zeruiah? If he is cursing me because the Lord said to him, Curse David, who can ask, Why do you do this? Then David said to Abishai and all his officials, My son, who is of my own flesh, is trying to take my life. How much more than this Benjamite? Leave him alone, let him curse, for the Lord has told him to. It may be that the Lord will see my distress and repay me with good for the cursing I am receiving today. So this man is is following David, cursing him as he he does so, and, and David's nephew wants to decapitate him. But again, David, what does he do? He places his hands in the fate of God. You see the humility that's come back into David's life here now? He's no longer proud, he's humble. He says, I deserve this. I've sinned against God, and I'm going to pay a penalty, but I'm going to trust God in the midst of all of this. And that's important. David has has paid a high price, but he's come out of these, these dark days with a changed heart. There's been restoration in his relationship with God. There's humility. He faces his sin like a man, and God gave him the grace to get through those consequences. So if there's one big glimmer of light in this dark, tragic tale, it is the fact that God brought David through it all and restored him eventually to the throne. If God did that for David, He's going to do it for you and me as well. God has made this promise. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, it says, God says, Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. If you come to God and you confess your sin to him, you are instantly forgiven. But there will still be consequences in the terms of the relationships that we've broken with one another. Yet God is going to be there. Even as you face the consequences of your rebellion against him, he will give you grace to get through the pain and the heartache of your sin. What does God say to Paul? He says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. When you come to that place and say, I can't do it anymore, God. Then you're in the right place. You just lean on him and he'll give you the grace to get through the difficulties of this life. And he'll be standing there to to receive you when you come to yourself. You remember the story of the prodigal son? The father comes running out when the son finally comes to his senses and comes back to his father. God, the Father is going to come running to us too when we come back to our senses. Brothers and sisters, I really wish that I could tell you this morning that once you got saved, you'll never fail again. But you know what? That would be a lie. And I can't tell lies like that. Maybe some other ones, but not this one. So I can promise you this. When you do fail and fall, God will help you through the process of confession and repentance and restoration. He'll even keep you through the dreadful consequences that sin brings into your and my lives. That's incredible promise. But listen to what God says through Jeremiah. Let me read you a little passage from Jeremiah. This is cool. Jeremiah chapter 18, verses 1 to 6-ish. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Go down to the potter's house, and there I'll give you my message. So I went down to the potter's house, and I saw him working at the wheel. But the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands, so the potter formed into into another pot, shaped as it seemed best to him. Then the word of the Lord came to me, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter does, declares the Lord. Like clay in the hands of the potter, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. We can be marred. We can get off the path. We can do the wrong thing. But God will mold us back into the image that he wants us to be molded in. What sort of image does God want to have in us? We are to be molded into the image of Christ. Remember to grow up into the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, it says in Ephesians. That's what we're supposed to be like. And God's going to make us like that. Yes, we've still got to pay the consequences. There's still going to be issues going on in our lives. But God will make us like Jesus if we come back like David and be humble ourselves under God's hand. It doesn't take much sin to leave an eternal mark on our lives, on our family, on our community, on our nation. Look at the things that are being passed through Parliament at the moment. here in our own state I'm shocked at the, the way that our parliament deals with things and how, how cheap life has become yet in the northern territory animals are now considered to be centennial beings and you can be punished for being naughty to those animals right? if you don't give your dog a, 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 the water at the end of the day you can be punished and go to jail but you can kill your children think like why our world's gone upside downside, hasn't it this is the consequences of the sin working themselves out in our community David learned a harsh lesson. Some of you have learned harsh lessons as well. Some are in the process of seeing chickens come home to roost. Sin always carries a great price tag, but it doesn't need to be bad as it could be. If there's unconfessed sin in your life, I challenge you, bring it to Jesus right now. Confess it, repent of it, pray for the grace to face the consequences. If you're reaping a bitter harvest today, The only thing you can do now is come to the Lord and submit. Humble yourself under his hand in what he's doing in your life. If things are right between you and the Lord, I encourage you to come before him and ask him to help you. Help you make the right choices from here on in. Stay on that right path. If you see someone who's skating close to the edge, I invite you to bring them to the Lord and pray for them that they might be delivered from their sins before they incur this incredibly high price that they have to pay. And if you're not sure about your relationship with Jesus, come to Him today, now, right now. Get that settled. So that the future will be settled for you as well. Brothers and sisters, will you join me in prayer? Father, Your Word again challenges us in so many levels of our living. And we face the horrors of the consequences of our sin. Choices that we made way in the past. And thank you, Father, for the incredible promise that we are, in fact, forgiven. Our relationship with you has been restored because of our faith in Jesus. Because we're able to confess. Because we're able to to trust in you. And know that you'll forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So, Father, in that purified state, we come before you and we ask, Father, for grace. For grace to face life, to face our days, the days that come. To humble ourselves under your hand. And to know that you are sufficient. And Father, I do pray that each of us will continue to humble ourselves under your hand in such a way that we might be moulded into the image of Jesus. So that when this world sees us, they can see that we are human beings just like the rest of them. But may they see Jesus in the way that we act, the way that we pray, the way that we love, the way that we forgive, just as we've been forgiven. May we live our lives for your glory, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.